0: Welcome to the Working Together Podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Morales, thinker, maker, doer behind Working Together, a burgeoning hub of can-do and know-how, inspired to explore who we are and how we can work together better. I'm fascinated by all the ingredients that you need to really make something happen, to really engage a system and the groups of people within it. And so, on this podcast, you'll hear a lot of stories from folks who've made interesting things happen. Their trials and tribulations, their reflections, their lessons learned, and the actionable advice that they have to share. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I did. In this episode, I speak with Peter McLeod, who founded Mass LBP in 2008. To reinvent public consultation through the pioneering use of civic lotteries and reference panels. So, what does Mass LBP stand for? Well, it is inspired from a Thomas Paine quote. Quote, There is a mass of sense lying in a dormant state which good government should quietly harness. The quote expresses an evocation of the role of government to tap into the latent intelligence called common sense. So the mass part of the name is a tip of the hat to pain, and to the sociologists who tried to make sense of what it means to live in a mass society. LBP, on the other hand, just stands for led by people. So mass LBP spends their time working at the intersection of 21st century mass society and the 18th century political institutions that struggle to keep up. They provide public engagement, strategy, and research services, but are most famous for their innovative work on public engagement using civic lotteries and reference panels, which you will hear all about in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. So, um, first of all, Peter, I just uh, I, I really want to thank you for, for being on the show today and, and speaking with me about uh, your work. It's, it's always been uh, of great interest to me and to many of my colleagues as well. Um, and so I'd like to start our interview like I start most of them, which is to try and get a sense of your story about how you came to do the work that you're doing. Um,
1: well, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, you know, there is a BC uh, connection um, and it's a, it's a personal one. Uh, Obviously, British Columbia was the real pioneer in Canada in uh, developing and hosting the first major citizens assembly in 2002. And at that time, uh, I had just come back from the UK, where I had been a a researcher at a um, uh, progressive think tank called Demos. I was working uh, on my PhD. I Found myself working on what was one of the most conventional of political science topics, which was uh, the role and relevance of uh, constituency offices. Uh, what I'd come to argue was perhaps one of the kind of uh, most significant and unrecognized uh, democratic reforms that had occurred uh, or parliamentary reforms that had occurred in the past generation. And, you know, in the course of doing my field work, I visited almost 100 federal constituency offices, and I spent my time speaking with many of the, the, frankly, middle-aged women who staff these offices and, you know, maintain a connection uh, with local voters. And I was really impressed by their dedication and the range of tasks that they would take on and how they managed with, you know, bailing wire and duct tape to sort of hold so many federal programs together. Um, but I was always struck when, inevitably, in the questions that I would ask them, I would uh, say, "So when was the last time you had a town hall meeting?" And what had been like a really open conversation um, and very positive discussion kind of kind of got cool, uh, and and people would say, "Well, you know, we we know we should have more of these meetings, but they're really a bit of a nuisance." Uh, and they would say the things you might expect. Well, that's the usual suspects who come out. We already know what they're going to say. Uh, a woman in, in Newfoundland, as, as as only a Newfoundlander can do, said to me, well, boy, you only get out the mad, the bad, and the sad anyway. And, and I thought this was really striking because these are people clearly dedicated to seeing the needs and interests of their communities um, well-addressed, by uh, the elected representatives, but when it came to being able to facilitate a meaningful discussion, uh, they uh, they got cold feet and they expressed a lot of frustration. Hmm. Now that really wasn't the the purpose of my study, but it's something that stuck with me. And I ended up um, a couple of years well uh, that later that year at Simon Fraser's um, Center for Dialogue, where I taught in the undergraduate semester program. And next door, the Citizens' Assembly was wrapping up, and uh, life takes funny turns, but I would come back to Ontario the next year, and uh, a year after that, my former supervisor at Queen's uh, would be named the Citizens' Assembly Academic Director in this province. And I was initially very skeptical of these processes, um, and thought it was maybe some flaky left-coast populist gimmick, right? I had blinders on like all good PhD students, Uh, And I couldn't recognize the immediate value and distinction of what was happening, Hmm. but only by the force of my former academic director, who wrote me into the process, um, did I end up getting a front row seat of sorts
0: to the citizens' assembly.
1: So this is Jonathan Rose, Hmm. and uh, Queen's professor. And, um, you know, as was the time in Ontario, they decided to have a parallel process for Ontario high school students. And, uh, with a, a colleague at a different organization called Student Vote, uh, and the Students Commission, uh, we were granted about half a million dollars to run a parallel program. So I, I put my PhD on hold. Um, I, uh, designed this, this parallel process, uh, and as effective as, as I, I as I hope it was, uh, for me, the, the, the real, um, uh the the, the 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 most exciting um experience was actually witnessing the work of the citizens assembly. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I'm I'm going on here, but just to complete the sort of uh founding story of it all uh, towards the end of the citizens assembly a number of us who were involved were scratching our heads and saying look you know democratic innovations they don't come along every day and um, you rarely have a chance to really attest them as we've been able to do through this process and how do we make sure that what we've learned doesn't just evaporate and there were three choices um, mm. i could finish my doctorate and go into maybe a political science department if i was so lucky and 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 yet you know, at best I could get a grant that would allow me to do something like this, maybe only every few years. And that wasn't going to sustain what we thought was momentum. And we maybe had enough reputational capital that we could have created an office of public engagement somewhere in the OPS. Um, But then we realized that we'd lose all of the autonomy uh, that we had, both around the process and then to determine uh, whether we thought different issues and circumstances were well-suited to the work. Perhaps the most obvious thing would have been to create a charity, um, but I didn't like the idea of being the guy walking around saying, you know, up with citizens and how about a tenor for democracy. Um, I wanted the work to prove its value uh, and really to be able to stand on its own, and I thought the business discipline uh, was an important measure of that. And so that really, you know, by process of elimination, uh, left left me and a few others with this idea of creating... A business, um, a democracy company—words that don't fit well together necessarily—but um, has actually been a surprisingly effective vehicle uh, for continuing to iterate, learn, <coughs> experiment, and really try and embed uh, this work as part of Canada's, you know, approach to hmm. policymaking.
0: Interesting. So you you were faced at the end of that first experience with, you know, I think. <laughs> I think the same kind of uh, uh, goals that a master's student is faced with at the end of their um, (laughs) work doing a master's degree, which is, well, I could take this and I could fold it back into a PhD. (laughs) Mm. Or I could take this and I could go and work in the nonprofit sector doing, you know, stuff that really feels good to my heart and and aligns with my values, but I'm going to be tied up with, you know, everything that comes with having to be a charity and fundraising and all that stuff. Or I could enter uh, the free market, in a, in, a, in a sense, and see how the work that I'm interested in will stand on its own legs. That's, that's great. I think that's a great story there.
1: I, I mean, the thing to appreciate about being a business is that it actually gives you a tremendous amount of uh, autonomy and, you know, we have a whole set of um, uh, policies, I guess, around our organization, um, how we pay ourselves, um, uh, uh, the sort of schema that we use to determine whether we'll take on a project or not, that allows us to remain very focused on what is still a We think public mission. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're we're in that way of sort of accidental business. Um, It's simply the kind of corporate form that's most fit to purpose. And our purpose has always been uh, to take a kind of 20-year horizon because democratic innovations, to move to scale and to become embedded, they don't move, of course, at the speed of iPhones and apps. Uh, they take much longer because their systems of governance necessarily uh, move much more slowly. And that's appropriate and right. But it meant that if we would accomplish our, our kind of whimsical goal, which is no more grandiose than, say, in 2030, the OECD writing up one of its you know, occasional surveys of how different countries govern themselves, mm-hmm. that in the Canada section, there'd just be a little call-out box. That says nothing more that when Canadians are faced with complex uh, policy choices, they have occasionally a tendency uh, to bring together randomly selected groups uh, to deliberate and support the work of elected representatives in making difficult decisions. That's the the whole game so far as we're concerned because we think that is a a, um, positive but also plausible intervention uh, that can be made at this time to strengthen our democratic culture. Um, so Mass being a company, company is strictly what we think is the best vehicle uh, to allow us to achieve that goal.
0: Hmm. That's great. Okay, so you talked a little bit in, in, in your story there about the problem that Mass is trying to solve. I'm wondering if you could articulate it a bit further. You mentioned when you were doing your PhD work, for instance, that as soon as you mentioned... Public engagement to these folks who are working in the offices. it would get cool, and that was your first flag that something is going on here with this
1: yeah i you know it's not public engagement necessarily it was you know the the kind of um all too standard town hall meeting right right yes, and it's the town easy hall to kind of make a caricature of a town hall meeting mm-hmm. uh it's that you know kind of dingy room with the microphone <laughs> at the center <laughs> and people uh seated you know on a riser behind a skirted table and the avs kind of shit and people at the front go on too long and they've scheduled the meeting too late and the people who've shown up have already made up their minds. And and it's fun to caricature and lampoon and the folks at Park and Rec, of course, do a lovely job of it. Um, but the thing that I, I think we need to be alert to is that we have repeated uh, this kind of theater uh, so frequently that it has grossly colored our perception of what the quote-unquote public is. And we haven't done enough to stop and say, as theater, um, or as a kind of uh, experience or encounter, it is a series of design choices. We have decided to put it in this room, and we have decided to put ourselves Mm -hmm. on a riser, and we have decided an agenda Uh, that skews things in one direction or another. And it is almost entirely a consequence of these design choices that people react the way they do. Um, And That, that to me, is very heartening because it means we can make different choices and that a public that too often is perceived as really volatile and emotional and ill-informed is not necessarily so. These are not essential properties of the public. Mm-hmm. Um, and that isn't to say that conflict and emotion doesn't have a place uh, in political interactions or in public meetings. It can and should. But I think because of some very poor uh, instincts and repertoires, we have exaggerated those tendencies to such a point that, you know, I think public servants and politicians rightly um fear these kinds of encounters. And that definitely diminishes their appetite and interest or even ability, their sense of it being possible to have a more constructive conversation uh, with uh, members of the public. And that I think is I think that's a that's a that's a minor tragedy for all of us. And the, the, the nice thing is that once you kind of define the problem more accurately, I think it's actually pretty easy to solve.
0: Okay. So solving the problem is is really what Mass LBP does in the work that, that you guys that you guys have done. You've you've done twenty seven uh, citizens reference panels, is that correct? Or at least that's how many I saw on the webpage when I was looking at it earlier today.
1: Yeah, you know we're we're gonna crest over thirty this year. Uh, and there have now been um, about a 1,000 Canadians who have participated in these deliberative processes, uh, and we've mailed about 300,000 households inviting uh, citizens in uh, to these processes. And the funny thing about them is that we're doing everything that um, the kind of standard way of doing business suggests uh, won't work or isn't possible. You can't get people out for a one-hour evening meeting. We ask people to give us four, six, eight days of their time. Uh, But we've learned um, that, you know, people want to be a part of something bigger than themselves, more than just having a say. They're looking for an opportunity to serve. And it's not everybody all the time. But on balance, people at different points in their lives for very different circumstances will... We'll say yes, we'll say that they, this is mm-hmm. they, they want to give something back. Um, the way we describe it sometimes is the difference between tapping into the kind of survey-taking ability of people and the barn-raising ability of people. And you know, people who have a good sense of the value of their time, um, and they have a good sense of the value of any survey. Um, but that's just indicating preferences. Mm-hmm. That's not about problem solving. And when we actually share out the problems of government and policy making with people in a way that's intelligible to them, then they're much more prepared to roll up their sleeves and be, quote-unquote, part of the solution. And that, I think, is a, not the only role for citizens to play, but I think it's an important and um, under-recognized role.
0: And so maybe for our listeners, you could kind of describe a bit of your process of how you guys come to this successful moment at the end, almost reverse engineer it for me. You, at the end, you have a citizens reference panel that has put together recommendations after, you know, you know six to eight days or longer uh, of right. deliberation and, and work together. So how, how does the process work? How do you go from the start to the finish?
1: Well, you know, just for the the benefit of your listeners, I think one of the things that we have a a tendency to do, um, as a, as a, if, if, if people who focus on public engagement can consider themselves a sector is that we just kind of confuse it with very specialized terminology. So whether it's a citizen's assembly or a citizen jury or a reference panel, Mm -hmm. um, uh, or any other name, you know, there, there is a kind of. Um, uh, common, there's some distinctions, but we can focus on what's common amongst them. Um, and and the connection I want to make is not actually even to the citizens' assemblies and the idea of any of this being so innovative um, because its closest parallel, in fact, is to one of the oldest democratic processes, um, frequently You know, forgotten, uh, not well studied, Um, but it's the work of coroners juries. So, everyone is familiar with the idea of a courtroom jury, and uh, in a courtroom, it's an adversarial contest between an uh, an accuser and an accused. Mm -hmm. Um, But in a coroner's jury, it's a non adversarial process where. Counsel is there to help the jury understand and examine a range of material. And so they'll call, of course, witnesses. Uh, and there isn't a finding of guilt or innocence. Instead, coroner's juries issue reports that contain recommendations. Now, we've been doing this. And is this coroner <laughs> or coroner? I'm con- a coroner. <laughs>
0: coroner. That makes sense. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh so so this is like a coroner's inquest where mm-hmm. there is a jury yes. uh that is impanelled and you know there's a long and interesting history about how coroner's juries came to be and their evolution in Britain and in Canada but the point is that nothing that we're doing with reference panels or citizen juries uh is is all that different um so how do we get to the report and the recommendations? Well, um, you know, first you have to bring the other group of people. And, you know, as we like to say, you'll never walk by a courthouse that's running a traditional jury and see a sandwich board outside that says murder trial this afternoon jurors wanted. Mm-hmm. That would be nuts, right? <laughs> because we know the people who would line up, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh So we have, as a society, become more sophisticated about this. Now, we compel people to serve on our criminal juries. We don't compel them to serve on our policy juries. We invite them, and we frame it as a matter of public service. So uh, we send out typically five or 10,000 letters to randomly selected households. We've done this in B.C., and we've done it in Vancouver, and we're currently doing it in uh, Duncan, North Cowichick. Uh, where we um, uh, invite people to volunteer and typically we have a three to seven percent response rate depending on the topic and the time of year and how many meetings are, are um, uh, scheduled in the program. Uh, from amongst those people who volunteer, we then randomly select, typically 36 people. It's done in such a way as to broadly match the demographic profile. So it's half men, it's half women, it's stratified by age. Um, it uh, will also be uh, broken out by a geographic um, area. Uh, and there may be other attributes. So if we were doing a project about housing policy, we would see that a proportionate number, own versus rent. If we're doing it about transit, proportionate number drive cars versus walk versus take public transit Mm. and we then um randomly bundle those attributes and select from amongst the volunteers blindly uh the people who have from amongst those who have volunteered we think more like adult educators than facilitators because while the civic lottery process is going on we then have to create a curriculum And we have to use great care, uh, often relying on advisory committees of very senior academics or policy makers, respected individuals with command and authority in their fields, uh, to create a program that would allow someone coming in, regardless of what prior knowledge um, or educational attainment they might have, to get the basics and build from there. And we think in terms of process knowledge, Someone understanding how this process will work and what their mm-hmm. role is in it, uh, which is which is significant uh, and is often overlooked. But then we have to think about the um, uh, uh, program or the subject knowledge uh, and so then we'll invite in um, different experts, uh, different stakeholders. Processes like this are often criticized for being, well, it's about the 36 people, but it excludes everybody else. Well, oftentimes, those stakeholder membership organizations, they need to have standing in these processes. So they can be presenters. They can organize um, shoulder meetings or or um, parallel activities. We often have what are called public roundtable meetings in the midst of a uh, reference panel process where members of the panel then go and host Uh, public meetings. So now it's citizens talking to citizens. In any event, over the course of the four or six Saturdays, uh, they move through um, a program that, broadly speaking, emphasizes kind of information and context at the beginning, and then flips to being entirely deliberative by the end. And we start by talking about values. And then we get more specific talking about issues. And from amongst those issues, we'll identify priorities. And having established those priorities, then we draft recommendations that we think can satisfy those priorities. And as a consensus or process, um, you know, not everyone needs to agree. Uh, But um, we look for a strong and overwhelming majority of support for any of the recommendations. And the panel actually writes the report itself and continues to edit it online after the program is complete. Hmm. Any member of of a panel can also write what we call a minority report, which is an important safety valve, where they know from the first day that if there was something they didn't like about me or or the process or the government client or the recommendations, they they can say so and it won't be edited by anyone. So that's an important measure of accountability as well. Anyway, there are lots of other components of it, but in in broad strokes, that's how it works.
0: Amazing. It's great. Very well sketched out. Uh, So within that, you know, a a question that I have in my head is, you know, is there any role for mass LBP to play in beyond that moment when the recommendations are delivered? Um, And, I guess a question on top of that too is: Have you, have you seen the successful implement, implementation basically of uh, a lot of the recommendations that these reference panels have put forward? Or you know, what's what's your scorecard looking like there? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so this is one of the advantages again of being an independent organization um, with this long-term mission. If I accept, if I take on a bunch of work with clients who I don't think are sincere about acting on the recommendations, So they like the PR value of being seen to bring citizens together, but they're not that serious about actually taking their recommendations. If I I took on a bunch of work like that, then the, the perceived value of the approach as a whole would very quickly erode. Right. So funnily enough, my my business interest, my long term business interest is very closely aligned, I guess, in this sense, with um, uh, the long term success of, uh, of citizen deliberation. Um, so our, our batting average is, is pretty good. You know, when we did a, a panel in, in B.C., where I assume many of your listeners are, uh, this was concerning your shared services card. Contentious because of some of the privacy concerns that arose from now having this uh, digital means of, of accessing uh, records and other services. So we brought together a panel. The minister was involved. They produced a report. Um, not only has the government taken um, most of the recommendations, but also the, the process and the recommendations earned a commendation from uh, your privacy commissioner. Uh, in Vancouver, they're very contentious land use um planning uh, process uh, to determine a 30-year strategy for Grandview Woodland. Now, Vancouver, I think, internationally, has some of the best uh, planners uh, who do very careful, very thoughtful work um, and believe in public engagement. Uh, but there were some circumstances where the uh, The first draft of that plan really diverged from what the community uh, expected, uh, and city council uh, passed a motion calling for a citizens' assembly uh, to be created to kind of bring that plan, put that plan back on track. They reviewed the 200 recommendations in the city's initial plan. Uh, They amended um, many of them, and they wrote an additional 70 recommendations and produced a report that's longer than 60 or 70 pages, and they met 11 times over the course of um, uh, a year. That report uh, was then used by the planning uh, department to produce a new draft of the 30-year plan. It accepted on the order of about 80% of their recommendations, and that's been accepted by by council. So there have been some exceptions uh, where... For various reasons, often political, uh, recommendations uh, haven't advanced. Uh, An election was called, the minister changed, um, but I think we have to be careful not to hold these processes to a higher standard than many of the existing policy development uh, processes that we use every day. And, um, you know, none of them are surefire. All of them are subject to political... Um, uh, events, and importantly, we're not giving these citizen groups the power to make the decision. Their purpose is advisory. It's to support the work of decision makers, and I think decision makers should feel supported by these processes, but should still enjoy full discretion to disagree and make different choices. That's what they're elected to do.
0: Hmm. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned a few kind of exceptions there. Uh, What other learnings from the past of mass LBP have you had that kind of shifted the direction of the organization or have you always been on the same kind of bent? How, How, you know, how have you evolved the model over the years and, and what kind of learnings did you have over the years that brought you to where you're, I mean, the way you articulated it was very clear and you can kind of see how this works for many public policy problems that involve a large segment of the public. So I'm just curious if you have any learnings there from the past that have shifted your direction over time.
1: You know, I, th- I think we've, I'd like to believe that we've um, become more efficient uh, at what we do. And efficiency is often, you know, oh, well, what are you cutting? Um, but it's its important to be able to deliver this work to a very high standard, Um uh, quickly, you know, uh, and and with with high quality. So I, I think we we certainly, as a team, you know, raised our game there. Um, methodologically, there isn't a lot that has changed. Um, the magnitude or the or the 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 importance of the projects that we've taken on in in policy terms has increased. Uh, and so, the political risk associated with the projects has probably or has certainly increased as well, uh, and we've responded to that, but you know the 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 in the in the kind of broad strokes way I've outlined that's remained pretty constant now there are different ways to do it. How many roundtable meetings do you have? Do you do them before, during, or after the process? How do you sequence the reference panel into the midst of uh, you know, a larger policy architecture, um, you know, what role do elected officials or senior uh, managers or, you know, uh, agency boards play? Um, who has standing in the conversation? What is the role of advisors? There are lots of different ways to um design and articulate different facets and strengths of the process and we've had the chance to try quite a range Mm -hmm. but but fundamentally we've 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 really we've been we've been pretty constant about the core attributes of it because they're based i think on some very sound principles that actually you can't deviate from um uh very much
0: and so what are those principles (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, well, I, I was saying that and I thought, oh boy! So I he's going to ask me to the names. Of mine.
0: Um, <laughs> I know one is Sortition, right? You yeah, you mentioned yeah. that in in past publications when I used to follow your work quite closely back in the beginning <laughs> of the day.
1: Uh, sure. Well, maybe you have some perceptions on how we've changed. I I, I don't know.
0: No, maybe no. I hear them. I uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm just a distant observer. But if to, from <laughs> my perspective, it seems as if you've been. Continuing with the uh, with the same model over the years. One thing, though, uh, that I'm that I'm curious about, I guess, is um, you know, basically, how like have you learned that this uh, approach works better for some public public policy problems over mm-hmm. others? Like, it, is it a kind yeah. of panacea, a one size fits all type thing, or do you see that there might be well, ways to design other methods for other problems?
1: So, uh, I don't think it's one size fits all. Um, I think these processes work best when um, uh, there is a choice, the, the choice isn't binary, um, when it involves weighing a series of trade-offs, um, and when it's confined to to a fairly narrow um, and specific problem. There is growing interest in the use of citizen juries and sortition. Uh, there was an article today you might have seen in The Guardian that juries are part of a kind of democratic agenda. Um, and, you know, there's some there's some good reasons why they're enjoying the... Um, Degree of popularity in Canada, Australia, and once again in the UK, but the reasons why it failed in the past. Um, and, you know, the folks who say we should have a randomly selected Senate, or maybe we should have a degree of sortition to select MPs, um, I think misunderstand or perhaps haven't really been close enough to the jury processes to appreciate the dynamics okay uh it's just the basic group dynamics and and so the the thing that folks might find surprising about me is that even though you know I'm I'm an enormous proponent of finding ways for citizens to be substantially substantially engaged in the policy process um I also think we need to recognize the limits of this work uh and um become increasingly sophisticated in how it is employed, rather than thinking this is a kind of magic democratic wand we can wave uh, that can renew mm-hmm. uh, all of our institutions. Mm. So right now in Ireland, there's a citizens assembly uh, convened by government that's examining a range of issues, uh, including abortion, uh, which, of course, in Ireland uh, is you know an even more inflammatory uh, topic than it that might be here in Canada, um, you know. In my estimation, that that alone would be uh, more than enough for a, mm-hmm. for an assembly to address. Not and one that, can
0: of worms, but multiple cans <laughs> of worms. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right, and and so I worry about kind of gang running um, the deliberations and mm-hmm. it becoming more of a focus group. Um, then a deliberative exercise where people have the time to exercise their agency and voice in the process and really Mm. have a chance to iterate on, well, to have their own thinking evolve, but then, you know, develop, um, a wider range of recommendations than the client might expect or assume.
0: Well, because it's a learning process as you're describing, right? You're bringing people in. It's part adult education, part, you know, policy development in a sense, right? And
1: and that's really how we frame it. I mean, a little bit like Peter Senge and talking about a learning society, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we think of these processes as, as learning. (laughs) That's what this all is. Uh, you know, our clients are learning and we're learning and the participants are learning and every, you know, everything is aimed towards, um, you know, learning, not in the narrow educative way, but learning in the sense of, of personal development and, uh, social development Mm -hmm. as well. Um, that's, that's a kind of, if you're thinking about a principle, you know, even beyond sortition, which might be a, a technique
0: method yeah that's
1: a that's a core principle hmm. for us you know one of the other things too that um we were really conscious of uh in the early days coming out of the citizens assembly was the need for a really appropriate relationship between these processes and elected officials um Because of my vantage point with the Students' Assembly in Ontario, I had the opportunity to speak to most Ontario MPPs. Uh, I scheduled interviews between them and the, you know, 15- and 16-year-olds who were serving on the Assembly. And I'd had these conversations with the MPPs, and and first of all, they'd say, well, what's the Students' Assembly? And then they'd say, oh, is that connected to the Citizens' Assembly? And I'd say yes, and they'd say, well, could you explain the Citizens' Assembly to me? Uh, And then it would become clear in many of these conversations... Um, that that they they weren't really clear on on how the, the major families of electoral systems worked, and so this was this was a kind of twofold lesson. First was that we can't assume that elected officials um, are as informed as we might expect, and and I think that's quite reasonable given the range of issues that elected officials, of course, have to. Um, address and be attentive to. Mm -hmm. So there's an opportunity for learning there as well. Um, But secondly, you know, the Citizens' Assembly was was messing, (laughs) frankly, with the careers of these people. (laughs) And it's only reasonable and human that it would excite them and be a source of anxiety. And we knew that much more needed to be done in terms of assembly legislature relations. Hmm. Uh, and we have been, we've taken great care, I think, in our work subsequently to give as many briefings and be as proactive as possible in ensuring that our clients and all of the people connected to our clients understand the purpose uh, of a reference panel how it will play a constructive role mm-hmm. and where it fits in the kind of pecking order <laughs> of of any kind of um uh institution and 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 that isn't to be excessively deferential not at all it's just to be really clear about about how this fits and and that's where you know some of my concern about you know, policy is a far more fashionable field than any of us are prepared to admit. Um, and as there is kind of growing interest in this work, I worry about us kind of overshooting the mark, um, as we often do, and then trying to say, "Well, everything should go to a citizen jury, or we should use random selection for parliament and senates, and on and on and on." And I think, um, I think, when you when you start to To suggest as much, Um, it could be because you haven't really had direct first-hand experience to to see what the dynamics are and the limits of these processes are,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um, and 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 maybe aren't as clear on I don't know what the uh, how how all of these. Um, approaches can actually fit together in a very complementary fashion, and I know I'm going to be doing more work over the next couple of years to, to try and share what we've learned uh, about the fitting together piece.
0: Hmm. That'll be great to uh, that'll be great to to see and hear about. Um, so, I guess then, what is what is the future hold for mass LBP in terms of your work? you know uh, what uh, here's here's even a better question if you could choose which client to work with on which problem <laughs> who who would that be and what would that problem be
1: well uh, we've been we've been very lucky you know we we've had the chance to work on many of the kind of ma- ma- major policy areas um that kind of command public attention with supervised injection sites in Ontario and you know regional transportation planning here and pharmacare nationally. Um and, and we've we've scaled moving from the hyper local as in Grandview Woodland uh to thinking, you know, very very big picture with the Mental Health Commission of Canada. Um so you know i i don't have any dream clients uh per se or you know policy itches that i just got to scratch um instead what i'd like to see is more of what happened for us this uh in november which was we ran our second national reference panel which you can imagine is I mean, program aside, the logistics of it are are not insignificant. Mm -hmm. Uh, We airlifted 36 people for four days to Ottawa. uh, And we worked in both official languages uh, to produce a report. But then um, I was uh, called by the House Standing Committee to testify on those recommendations. And that was the first instance in Canada of a a citizen jury or a reference panel um, reporting out to a parliament. And uh, it wasn't commissioned by Parliament, it was commissioned through um, the University of British Columbia, in fact, in their Center of Health Policy, funded by a grant from the Canadian Institutes of Health Research. But it established a really good precedent. And we saw the same thing in Ontario when we worked on the Condominium Act. That report was um, uh, uh, largely responsible for the, the drafting of the Act, and that was an act that then received all party support in the legislature. So, you know, m- my my wish for the future uh is to see uh this work even in a in an even more direct and overt fashion um influence legislative change in addition to regulatory
0: hmm.
1: uh change or organizational change within public service agencies.
0: Good answer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it you know, it, it's, it's also to see Canada and it's not just the work that we've been doing because of course, uh, UBC center for bioethics, McMaster university, Queens university, uh, SFU, uh, uh university of, uh, Alberta, they have each been responsible for various kinds of deliberative processes. Um, Ontario's, uh, uh, drug uh, Council. Um, you know, there's, there's actually quite a constellation of this work taking place. You know, Canada's, you know, only too much itself when it waits for others to praise it, to recognize its own achievements. Um, but as other jurisdictions start to become aware of what's been happening in Canada, um, then I think we'll probably take greater note of it ourselves. And um uh I I I think, you know, the future is simultaneously um becoming more popular, um, but becoming more popular isn't to become isn't for this to become like celebrity policy making. And I'm not speaking person I'm just talking methodologically. Um, while also becoming normal, right? Like that's what embedded is for us. It's not to be it's not for the work to be celebrated as being innovative. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we want to get boring and as everyday as quickly as possible, while preserving the integrity of the work. <laughs> that's our that's our challenge, and we we think recognition from other jurisdictions will help with that. We think you know knowledge transfer to other jurisdictions can help with that. But ultimately, for us, the mission remains the same: just make this a workaday part of how. Uh, Canadians make make good policy.
0: Great, great reversal, by the way, to the usual kind of fanfare around innovative, new. (laughs) You know, our goal actually is to become, you know, like mashed potatoes, just there when you need it for every meal that requires it. Um, So, I I, that that doesn't make any sense. Um, Anyway, so (laughs) it's it's all right. I'm I'm going to close out here with a few kind of rapid round questions um sure. that i like to ask uh folks some of some of which i ask everybody some of which i ask only a select few of these questions so i'll just go through my list here and select a few so um what what book has most influenced you and in your and your work your approach to work and why
1: um you know anyone who works in the field of deliberation has to start with Danielle Yankelevich's coming to public judgment um, it is the it is the I think the first hmm. text uh, in this field
0: I will make sure that we put that in the show notes that sounds interesting and and why is that
1: uh, so Daniel Yankelevich was one of the um, the the greats and and pioneers of American public opinion research uh, and of course you can go back to the kind of you know, early writings about this, and and of course, Walter Lippmann, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, theorizing about public opinion, a lot of that has been lost um, very, very quickly uh, to our, our kind of current memories and practices. Uh, but Yankelevich was a, was a pollster who you could say kind of got religion and recognized um, not only the limitations of uh, opinion research, but the the biases of it in how it came to skew opinion makers view of this phantom public and um, consequently wanted to find better ways to harness the deliberative capacity of citizens because he thought it was a way for citizens to to be realized more fully as citizens mm-hmm. by the state.
0: We barely even touched in our conversation on uh, personal efficacy, for instance, that you know, is such a powerful thing for it sounds like the participants who go through the reference panel process to experience is that they feel this sense of personal efficacy around being democratically engaged, which I think is hugely important.
1: It's absolutely vital because, you know, one of the biggest knocks against um, our mainstream democratic processes, voting, um, meeting with your MP. Signing the petition, writing a letter to the paper um, you know is that they 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 give so little sense of of efficacy or return on investment um, and and that 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 may be appropriate for some very good reasons, but nevertheless um People need, in their interaction with, with the state and with, with government, to have a a sense of worth and value. People want to make a difference. And mm-hmm. if those systems keep telling them that they can't, then we can't be surprised when when people's confidence in those systems erodes.
0: So one last question here. I won't go through all of them, so just the one. Who do you consider to be a mentor Um, and how did this person impact you and what valuable learning did you get from this person?
1: Um, Well, I was, I was, I've been fortunate to have a a number of wonderful mentors Um, and they've each played different roles. You know, Jonathan Rose and George Thompson with the Citizens Assembly from Queens, um, you know, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if they hadn't, um, you know, recognized a, uh, a role for me and and had confidence in me at a ridiculously young age. Um, but, you know, the person who I, I'll single out probably isn't known to uh, any of your listeners, and that's um, a British labor economist named Robin Murray. And I got to know Robin when I was working in the UK. Um, he was, was part of the Greater London Council before it was abolished by Thatcher and was um, has spent his life attached to um, uh, the LSE and is the kind of father of uh, fair trade in Britain. He was a bit yeah. of a student of Michael Young, the... Um, original social innovator um, uh, in Britain. Mm. Um, and and Robin, um, there, there's no single text that everyone needs to read. But what Robin continues uh, to model, I think, so effectively is a warmth and an enthusiasm and a curiosity for the ideas of others. Uh, and he's someone who I think really exemplifies um, the idea of learning and the aliveness that that comes with learning. and i'm 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 very grateful that you know he's someone I can think to when I'm trying to recall, okay, how do we put a little more energy into this? How do we make this matter? Um, how do How do we make sure that, that people feel uh, and know that that they're they are making a difference? i can I can apply the Robin test, and uh, I'm grateful for it
0: wow that's and it shows in your guys's work for sure, particularly when we're talking about how how much learning as an overarching principle feeds into all the all the different elements of mass lBP's work. so Peter, thank you so much for our conversation today. I feel like we barely scratched the surface on so much of these things and, and ideas and everything. Um so so thank you. Uh, it it's
1: been my pleasure. I, I thought an an hour would be far too much time, but um I've I've enjoyed the, the chance to, to talk to you and hope that I haven't droned on too much
0: and that it's uh, useful to your listeners. Gosh, no, it's uh it's very interesting interesting stuff. Okay. okay. Thank you Thanks so for much. Your time. Have a good Take one. Bye. Bye-bye. Over the past 10 years, through LBP, Peter has worked with leading organizations in North America and Europe, including Fast Company Magazine, Vancouver's Wask Center for Dialogue, Britain's Demos Think Tank, and the Chaos Pilots, a Danish school for business design and social innovation. A graduate of the University of Toronto and Queen's University, he writes and speaks frequently about the citizens' experience of the state, the importance of public imagination, and the future of responsible government. He is an Action Canada Fellow in 2003, and the 2008 recipient of the Public Policy Forum's Emerging Leaders Award, and a director of Toronto's Wellesley Institute for Urban Health. You can find the resources mentioned during this episode at togetherworking.com slash the Working Together Podcast, all one word. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for more in-depth conversations with innovative thinkers, makers, and doers sure to inspire you and help you make an impact in your world. And don't forget to rate and review so that I can continue to bring you the social innovation goods. Finally, if you'd like to receive the weekly Working Together Review newsletter where I share interesting finds and actionable insights about teamwork, facilitation skills, social innovation, cooperatives, behavioral economic strategy, political theory, and a whole bunch of other stuff, you can sign up at togetherworking.com.